love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. oh definitely. Awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are kicking off our type episodes as we begin our journey through the heart triad, starting with type two. And so we, this whole series, are going to be exploring how our personality impacts our relationship with God and our approach to faith. Yes. So you're going to hear us say a lot in this season, this quote by Richard Rohr. And he says, the way you relate is the way you relate. And it's so simple and so mind blowing. But we all have one relational style or superpower or crutch, depending on how you're using it. And we like to apply it to all of life. So the way we relate to people is going to be a really similar way that we relate to God. So today we're going to explore how that shows up for our type twos, the helper. Yeah. And just a note, today's content is building on our 101 content from season one of the show. So if you are brand new to the Enneagram, this may not be the best place to start. You can, but just warning, you Mm -hmm. could get a little lost. We're going to refer to things that we are assuming folks already know. So, So just make sure that you at least have a basic understanding of the Enneagram before you dive in too far or you're going to feel a little lost. Okay, so what's our journey look like? Well, each episode, we're going to explore three things. First, how their personality influences their relationship with God. Second, how their lens influences their view of God. And third, how God heals people with this Enneagram type. Okay, so first, let's explore how their personality influences their relationship with God. So, Lindsay, give me an idea of what this looks like for type twos when they are healthy. When I think of a healthy type two and their relationship with God, I just think of someone who is saying, here am I, send me. Mm -hmm. You know, they are willing to do the hard things. They will sacrifice their personal comfort or their preferences, and they are always willing to serve, whether that's directly serving God, serving his people, being the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. And then in a healthy space, they're also going to be able to receive God's love and know their own neediness and live in community, but also be able to take time away into that solitude, that place that's just 
them and God, which will refuel them to then go back to their life of service. Yeah, because they're giving from a place of fullness yeah. and not a place of striving and earning. Yes. And and like we've talked about this before, but the, the telltale sign of a healthy two is mm-hmm. their capacity to be alone. Yeah. You know, the ability to, to disconnect. Yeah. When I think of like a really healthy two, you know, they're not frantic busybodies. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a sense in which they have a non-anxious attunement Mm -hmm. to the people around them and the needs of others and the prompting of God. But you don't get a sense that it's this like addictive need Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. It's a sense in which they're just very, they're present, they're attuned. They know their limitations. They'll give as they can give, but they're Mm -hmm. also okay if they're not needed that day. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So that is the good news of how personality can influence their faith in God in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I think we also need to look at the ways that their personality negatively can influence Mm -hmm. their faith. So what's that look like? Well, Lisa Vischer said in our intro episode, psychology informs theology. So in other words, our personality is going to lead us to create a really particular theological emphasis. Mm-hmm. And anytime we start to lean on the scales, you know, if you think of scales being really balanced, we're putting a lot of weight on one side, it's gonna get skewed. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about our Christian faith as a rule of life, like the way you order your days. So you're gonna have this slanted view of God, a slanted rule of life, and then you're gonna relate to God through a skewed approach mm-hmm. where good things become ultimate things at the expense of other good things. Yeah. And that's like the real kicker, right? Is that it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So you look at it and you go, what? What's the problem? It's a good yes. thing. But it's this good thing that becomes eclipsing mm-hmm. in such a way that other things just totally get buried and left yeah. aside. And so for the two, you know, they have a tendency to relate to God primarily through service. Mm-hmm. So what does this overemphasis on service look like? You know, when I when I think of like an unhealthy two and their relationship with God and their relationship in a community of faith, you know, I think of somebody who is still very generous Mm-hmm. but also resentful. Yeah. Somebody who is really helpful, but they're not happy. I think of like like a toxic Mother Teresa. Like <laughs> it's like this sense in which they can't stop themselves. It's the it's the missionary who has too many relationships. Their hands are in too many different projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are driving themselves into the ground, completely ignoring their own limitations. And so when they come to God, and they are attempting to have a relationship, they can only perceive the relationship Mm -hmm. in terms of the way that they serve him. That yeah. it's a transactional relationship in which they must constantly invest their their time, mm-hmm. but there's there's even a reluctance to receive. Yes. Yes. You mentioned generous but resentful. And I think yes, I mean that is how they come to God is I'm being so generous to God. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you all my energy and all my love, but I kind of resent you for it because I don't have a right view that you're giving me or that I need anything from you. Yeah. So I think of like unhealthy twos in their relationship with God are often really scared Mm -hmm. that God is going to reject them Mm -hmm. or God's Mm going to abandon them if they don't serve him constantly. And as a result of that, one of the things that does show up is that a lot of unhealthy twos avoid silence. 
They avoid solitude. They avoid stillness. But the catch is this. Those are often the moments in which we actually receive from God. Mm -hmm. And so the result is that they avoid receiving from God and instead are just compulsively serving him. Right. That sounds really exhausting. Yeah. So that's how this type tends to relate to God. But one of the main reasons we relate to God incorrectly is because we see him incorrectly. Our lens is getting in the way. So how does the lens of the type two distort the way they see God? Well, in the last episode, we were talking with our friend Lisa Vischer, and Lisa talked about how all of the types in various ways from their false self view God incorrectly. And Lisa says that the false self can lead twos to believe that God is neglecting. Mm. God is not attentive. He's not attuned to their needs. He's not going to respond to their needs. He is not particularly interested in them as a person. Mm. He's interested in them as a function. So God needs them to help. He is not at all concerned about, you know, their their need for rest or their their need for care. And he ends up overlooking them. And he also, he overlooks their contributions. He mm-hmm. doesn't care or even value it. Yeah. I guess I have to give to him. But even when I do, I don't really feel like he really cares that much. Right. Right. And you touched on it earlier, and we've talked about it in the past, that the reason twos are doing all this serving is they're looking for love. Yeah. They're looking for that identity of, I'm a person that is loved. And so you can see how if you don't believe that you have that secure love in the arms of your father, God, then you really need other people to love you. And so it's going to continue this cycle of the two spinning out of Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm not being filled by God's love. I don't even believe he loves me deep down. And so I really need people to love me and affirm me because otherwise there's nothing. Yeah. And they should need that. The need for love is a universal universal. need. We should all, we all have that need. Yes. And so there should be the ability to want that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's like the, that's like the distorted stuff. Yes. So what is the true image of God? Who is he actually? Yeah. Well, the great news for twos is that God is love. Mm -hmm. He is the definition of love. He is the creator and sustainer of love. And he loves twos so uniquely. He loves them specifically as who they are. He appreciates their gifts. He is the giver of all of their gifts. Mm -hmm. And so he does love all of their capabilities to serve and to give. But he also loves them when they can do nothing. While you are still sinners. Christ died for you. Mm -hmm. So not not after you earned it. No, like before, even while you are messing up, even when you don't want to serve anyone, God still loves you. And then also we see God as the true helper. Yeah. And so in a way, twos can look to Jesus as kind of that the image and mentor of what a healthy two looks like Mm -hmm. of he gave his life in every way. But he also took time for himself. Mm -hmm. He also had friends and people and angels who ministered to his needs. And he slept in the boat, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think twos can see that God relates to their superpower. He knows what sacrifice feels like and the sadness when people don't get it Mm -hmm. or they don't care. Mm -hmm. And he also appreciates rest and gives rest. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so for type twos then, okay, we've looked at how personality influences their relationship with God and then how their lens influences their view of God. We're now left with the question of how God heals people with this Enneagram type. Mm -hmm. Well, the news just keeps getting better. Yeah. <laughs> like we just painted the true image of God and we, now we get to talk about we, how. We punched you a bunch, but that there's, heals there's really you. good news. Yes. So Jesse, you always talk about that God doesn't heal us with good advice. He heals us with good news. So what is the good news for type twos? Yeah. He heals your shame mm. with his delight. You know, twos are in the heart triad. Shame is the dominant thing yeah. that they're working through. There's a sense in which they feel embarrassed. They feel that if they were truly exposed as they were mm -hmm. with no bells and whistles, mm -hmm. that they would be humiliated. Yeah. And instead, God looks at them and just dotes over them, mm -hmm. loves them, delights in them. Mm -hmm. Their existence, their presence brings him joy. There's nothing that they have to do in order to earn that delight. And so God lavishes his delight on them. You know, he heals their their fear and their anxiety with his presence. He heals their guilt with his forgiveness mm -hmm. and Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And, and all of this forms them. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for twos because they're such heart people. Yeah. You know, kind of like the four. They they just have so much emotion and love and empathy. And so for them to know how deeply they're loved, like that delight, I think is so key for the twos. What does this look like for the type two? Well, we talk about that Jesus speaks to our wound in a way that nothing else can. Mm -hmm. He can heal our wounds in a way our bootstraps will never work. So his good news, his word to the twos are, you are loved and wanted. I love you and I want you. One friend of mine who's a type two, she says that the word cherished mm -hmm. is, is particularly powerful for her, mm -hmm. like cherished, treasured. It's this idea of not just that you're loved and wanted, like, hey, sure, we'll include you. It's this sense of, you are you are the deepest treasure mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. And that I prioritize you. I emphasize you. I you know, and again it's you cannot receive that message unless you believe that God is truly delighting in you. Yeah. Okay, so that's the good news. Mm-hmm. But good news does lead to transformation. Mm -hmm. So after receiving this good news, twos are invited to respond. You know, as a disciple of Jesus, move from pride mm -hmm. to humility. Mm -hmm. So don't have the false humility of being like, I don't have any needs, mm -hmm. you know, move to true humility. You're invited to respond by having a realistic view of yourself that includes having boundaries, having needs and asking God and other people for help. Mm -hmm. I don't usually think of twos as prideful. So just being aware of this is that sneaky pride, yeah. you know, of, oh, I don't need anything. No, no, it's fine. You know, I'll yep. get you a drink. I'll do whatever. It's it's saying, no, like boundaries, I'm not going to get up for that. Yeah. <laughs> or yep. a few final tips for investing in your relationship with God for twos. A.J. Sherrill has a book called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, and he recommends some spiritual disciplines for each type. So we have downstream disciplines that are easy for us. We go with the flow of our natural bent and we get there. And then he has upstream disciplines that we have to work for. We have to push our way upstream. So for the two, their downstream discipline is hospitality, service, and fellowship. And they are great at volunteering, getting things done, giving of their time, their resources for the body of Christ. Yeah, and what a gift it is to mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. So keep, if you're doing that, 
keep leaning into that. The upstream discipline, so this is where you're going to really stretch and you're going to expand your view of God. Mm -hmm. So you're going to move beyond having this hyper-focus on service and you're going to move into something else, and that is solitude. Mm -hmm. It is the ability to be alone. It is to Sabbath. So it is to set a time on your calendar and say, on this day I don't serve people, on this day I take Mm -hmm. care of myself, on this day I rest. And it's doing self-care, the ability to go... Okay, I have needs. I need to eat a certain way. I need to get a certain amount of exercise. I need to get a certain amount of sleep. I need Mm -hmm. to not spend time with certain people that are constantly tearing me down and destroying me. And so it's the ability to practice saying no. Yeah. So yeah, so solitude, Sabbath, self-care. All S's, (laughs) you can memorize it. Yes. Yeah. I always tell twos, practice saying no even when you don't need to say no. Like it's something easy you could easily do, but just practice. Like, oh, no. You know, yep, like yep. I can't do that. Yep. Or even like when your kids are like, can you fill my water? Like, no, mm-hmm. you can do it. Mm-hmm. Even though you could easily have done it. Mm-hmm. It's just practice, yep. you know, for a season. That's right. Well, neither of us are type twos. No. So I think we need to have someone come and speak to us about their experience as a type two. So our guest today is Joy Ike. Joy is a Nigerian-American, Philadelphia-based singer-songwriter, public speaker and artist coach. Her latest album is Bigger Than Your Box, exploring themes of divine disappointment, the restless middle ground between what is and what ought to be. We also know her for her fantastic cover of Mr. Rogers' Won't You Be My Neighbor. Her latest project is an apparel line called Wearing Love, a clothing line dedicated to expressing brotherly love in a polarized climate. And she is a two on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Joy. Hello, world. (laughs) (laughs) We are so excited to talk with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I guess let's start here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Enneagram and some of the initial takeaways for you? Yeah, I once had a roommate several years ago who was crazy about the Enneagram and always talked about it. But before I even really knew much about it, I could tell she was kind of like, typing me and <laughs> determining how our relationship was kind of how, how to navigate our relationship through the lens of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want anything to do with it because I was just like, oh man, she's putting me in the box and da 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 da. Yet at the same time, I think what pushed me away from it initially was that she would say, well, you know, I'm a number, blah, blah, blah. That's why I'm this way. Mm-hmm. And based on the little I knew of the Enneagram, I knew like using the number to justify, you know, character flaws or things like that wasn't Mm -hmm. what the Enneagram was actually for. And so that pushed me away from the Enneagram even more. But then I came around. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm thinking, you know, she tried to put you in a box and then you made an album called Bigger Than Your Box. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That was all swirling in the same season. So. Well, you were here for our teaching time. Was there anything that stuck out to you or resonated with you? Yeah, all of it. Great. Moving on. Now, yeah, there's there's so many things that I identify with. And what's really interesting is that, you know, when I first started learning about the Enneagram, I wanted to believe I was a nine so much because I mm-hmm. wanted to believe I was so perfect. I finally landed on two wing three, although I have a lot of one. But I think it really came back to the helping thing and not Mm. being able to ask people for help, but always being the one to give help and and really realizing that I had a major, major savior complex wanting to, you know, kind of roll on in and fix people's problems 
and always be the strong one in the relationship, especially with the, the last thing you were sharing about hospitality, service, and fellowship. Like Those are always such joys of mine to be able to create space for people and welcome them in and make sure nobody feels left out and make sure I'm attentive to what people need so that they feel like they're part of whatever is going on, whether it be just some friends hanging out or something happening you know, in a church context. But at the same time, I've hit burnout so many times in my life from being the giver and not allowing myself to rest. Yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating, like, even just listening to you talk, you know, when I think about all the personalities that God has wired us with, like, and, like, hearing you even talk, like, I love to do, you know, these acts of hospitality and to nurture other people and to, Mm -hmm. you know, give to others and, like, I do think about all the ways in which there are times where like, that's not my inclination. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it shows yet again, just like the ways in which the Lord is showing up in specific ways, you know, and gifting us because you're modeling that for other people, like mm-hmm. people like me that tend to, tend to be reluctant, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that's, that's a picture of what to live into in that area yeah. of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it think emphasizes right. that upstream and downstream. Yeah. When you're doing that downstream discipline, you're like, I'm not even doing anything. This is just fun. Uh-huh. And right. the rest of us are like, no, that does not look fun. Right. But, <laughs> but for them, they're on the lazy river. Yes. It's like the natural, you know, flow But of because things. burnout is real, yeah. other numbers yeah. have to be able to stretch themselves to also serve because yeah. twos can't do it all. That's right. Yeah, That's right. it's true. And that generous but resentful thing is so, it's so real. Like, you know, I'll, I'll come, I'll leave spaces or events or you know, some, something where it felt cold and I'll just, you know, I'll be, you know, maybe complaining to my sister or to a friend. I'm like, were you, did you feel that? Like mm. there was no heart in that. And it was just like a, this really cold atmosphere. It was so sterile and the environment, you know, just kind of like going on and off on just like all those, those things that are so I think essential to creating atmosphere, but mm-hmm. it's not something that everyone is gifted in. And so that's not, you know, it's not fair for me to put that on other people when that's not, you know, that might not be their strength. Yeah. 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 Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation with Joy Ike. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We recently talked with the parents of some of our alumni to ask them how serving with us has impacted the life of their child. Hi, this is Steve Lindsay from Leola, Pennsylvania, and my son Taylor served with Love Thy Neighborhood in 2018. That was a year that was life-changing, and one in which we saw him grow in his faith, his self-awareness, his leadership skills, and in his passion for those in the margins of society. We honestly believe that that year invested will have not only wide-ranging, but eternal impact. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, Come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
Welcome back to the IndieCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we've been talking with Joy Ike about her faith, her relationship with God, her Enneagram type, how these things all intersect. Let me just ask you this, like, what do you find the most difficult as you relate to God? And I guess the, the flip side of that, also, what, what comes easily? Hmm. I think the most, well, I'll say the easy first, because that's, that's easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think what's easiest is seeing his heart for people. There's something, I don't know what it is, comes over me that I'm like, I feel his love for people. And it's not me. It's completely supernatural. But I can, I can appreciate like how unique he has made every person. And it's, it's really fun for me to see the good in people. And honestly, I would say it's very easy for me, but I think what's hard for me and you, you brought up the word cherished and I like wrote it down and like circled it and like was putting little fireworks around it. (laughs) I, I think it's really hard for me to see that, see how God feels about me. And, you know, and, and we grow up, you know, our environment really does affect our relationship with God. And, you know, I think I grew up in a family that's very performance oriented, very, like very high performance academically and all of those things. You know, you, I always joke in at, at my shows, like there's a one song that I share about how, you know, if you're a Nigerian, you're allowed to be, you're, you're allowed to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so living a life as an artist and a performer was not welcomed. And it was like, there, there was a lot of pushback and there still is pushback even now, you know, seven, I think I'm about 17 years in and it's crazy just to constantly kind of be pushing against that. And so I think I have I have worked and it's funny that I'm using the word worked because I feel like that reveals a lot too, but you know, (laughs) it's just like, I've, I've worked to try and get to that place where I'm just like, all right, Lord, I don't have to try. I don't have to earn your love. I know that you love me, but I find that, that, that kind of likes to seep its way into every facet of my life where I'm trying to earn something. Mm. Um, or say that I'm owed something because I've, you know, killed myself to get to some point in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a few months ago, I heard somebody say that so often we give to others what we're so deeply seeking. And so I think about like all the things you're describing is like you love to delight in other people. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, you're saying it's so challenging to receive that same delight from mm-hmm. God. I can believe mm-hmm. it for others. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to believe it for myself. Yeah. Okay. So you've already touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and ask this next question just to see, you know, where else we go with it. But has there ever been a moment where you began to think that your personality might be influencing your relationship with God or your theology, and what happened? Hmm. Yeah. Even in church context, you know, it's, it, it was so easy for me to volunteer for everything and want to be that person that was available for people. And even to the point where I left the church I was attending probably five, six years ago now at the time. And I was so nervous about being part of another church because I knew that if I committed, then I would quickly say, yeah, to, Hey, can you design, you know, this 
postcard this you know can you photoshop something and hey can you be part of the hospitality team and hey can you work with the kids in the nursery i'm like yes i love doing all of those things mm-hmm. and it is incredibly hard for me to say no and i've gotten to a place where i can say no really easily but i still deal with, i deal with the guilt of not being mm-hmm. available to people so it's it's really at that place where okay i need to I need to not feel guilty about it. You know, I've crossed the threshold of no. (laughs) Now I can't, you know, can't beat myself over the head because somebody really does need something and I can do it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That is, it's amazing because like you said, you've crossed a threshold of like, you're doing the work, you're doing the thing. But it's such a journey of like, well, now I'm struggling with this. It's like whack-a-mole, you know, like, I whacked this one and then it popped up over here. And I have to figure out how to not feel guilty about it. And I think we all have that, you know. It's so, it's so true. I I think I actually thought I was a three for so long because, you know, they say threes are kind of the, you know, they're kind of the jack of all trades, a master of none type type Mm -hmm. personalities. And I always took a lot of pride in that, like that I could, I could be well-versed in a bunch of different things and really kind of step in for people in a variety of ways that, you know, maybe the average person couldn't. But I, I think when I came back to the whole, like, oh, this is like, this is actually a pride issue. Like I've, mm-hmm. I really take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm always the one being, I'm the fixer, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you are a musician, you're an artist, you're a singer songwriter. A lot of your life has been dedicated to creating art that centers on, you want to be authentic, but you also want to serve other people. In, In what ways have you seen sort of this intersection of your faith, your personality, your art sort of come together, you know, in ways that are beneficial, but have there also been times where that intersection of those two things has has not gone well, like it went sideways on you? Yeah. I don't think most people know this. I I think people who follow me very closely know the story of my last album, Bigger Than Your Box. It's my favorite album. I'm so proud of it. And it's, it's, it's almost, I think it's over four years old now. It's crazy how fast time is flying. I put an album out at the beginning of 2018 and I had, I had major, major hopes for this album. I entered into this project, like knowing that it held something and that there was, it was carrying something that was needed for the time that we were in in the in the world in our country and it's in some ways it's it feels like it's even become more relevant now as the last few years have transpired and so yeah i i had this thing and it was so dear to me and so it was like i put all of my eggs in the basket you know all of my time all of my energy blood sweat tears and mm-hmm. so you know things kind of played out i wrote the album recorded it put it out in the spring of 2018 and over the course of those months everything kind of just fell apart mm-hmm. i had this publicist that i'd hired I, I i used to work live as a publicist or work as a publicist before i left to pursue music so i was like oh i need a publicist i know what i need i know what i need them to do but the sphere of influence they have access to i don't so therefore i'm going to hire someone else to do this and over the course of about six to seven months of working with him he stole about eight thousand dollars from me which kind of became this soul crushing kind of flag in the ground that really kind of influenced was the filter that I saw the whole project out of because it was me putting it all out there and saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to 
take all the risks and all the chances that I didn't think that I would, I would ever take on something. And I think I had just been like, you know, God, I gave up my whole adult life for this. I kind of hit this point where I had really an identity crisis or a crisis of purpose. Like, did I get it wrong, Lord? Have I been giving my life to something that you didn't actually call me to? Not only did the, you know, the marketing of this thing not go well, but the launch wasn't great. You know, we were having a hard time pulling people out to shows. I was like, surely, surely I've amassed the following that I thought I had all of these years. And, and then I felt like God was telling me, you know, you need to take a break. You need to give this up. You have kind of idolized this thing and put it on a pedestal and you're still doing the comparison game. You're still putting this thing up so high and really trying to kind of hit this place where people can look at you and say, oh, she finally made it. You know, all of those years was weren't in vain. So yeah, I got resentful and, you know, he told me to give it up and, you know, just like a, a good Christian, I didn't listen. And so eventually I just kept doing it, kept performing until I got really, really resentful. And, mm. and then I kind of hit a brick wall in 2019. I just stopped. And then I got another year of stop in 2020 mm-hmm. and reemerged very differently. And that's a whole different story, but, but God has definitely redeemed the situation, but really to bring it back to the Enneagram too, I think I really felt like God owed me something. Like I had mm-hmm. sacrificed so much of my time and energy for something that was, I really felt was not entertainment, but was engagement and really finding ways to help people connect with heart issues. And I felt like God owed me bigger platforms, opening mm-hmm. for bigger artists, more tours in different places in different countries and it all just fell through the cracks. And those are so hard, you know, because it's that sense of like, Lord, look at all I did for you. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would you respond this way? And, and it feels like so often we get years down the line and we go, oh, because we are always, you know, his best interest. Like mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to always, you know, yeah. do what you think is best for me. It, except that process is always so painful because mm-hmm. it does. It usually involves some version of either yeah. I'm going to let you put all your hopes and dreams in this and I'm going to give you all those hopes and dreams, you know, yeah. a sense of, yeah. you know, bitterness or I'm going to put all my hopes and dreams in this thing. And then the Lord is going to take it away from mm-hmm. us. You know? Right. And, yeah. And it's like, it's waking up from our trances, mm-hmm. our broken mm-hmm. ways of seeing is so painful. It's it so is. much easier just to stay asleep to our way of doing things. Yeah. That's so true. We talk about that. Each type has a key message that they long to hear. So joy, we want you to imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you looking you straight in the eye and he lovingly tells you, I love you and you are wanted. How does that message affect you? Mm. Yeah, I think it kind of opens up the box of of vulnerability, Mm. you know, kind of like cracks open the cracks, open the cement jar. (laughs) Yes. How so? I think, you know, it's like letting, you know, it wants to let the light in a little bit. Mm. And and so it's like, 
you want to, you want to just, in, in some ways, like I'm getting this visual of like this jar kind of shattering and just being like, okay, I surrender. It's I'm all open, you know, but yeah. I kind of got, I kind of felt like it was more of a crack. Cause it's like, you know, it's letting the light in, but it's still like, okay, but mm-hmm. prove it, you know, yes. sort of sort of like hesitant yeah there's a hesitancy there because then it requires you know requires a level of trust that i know i need to exercise more Mm -hmm. it was so interesting that you said vulnerability i don't think that's like the answer not that we were expecting anything but Mm -hmm. we were both like oh hmm," you know but I'm actually, I listened to Kurt Thompson's podcast and his mm-hmm. most recent episode, the The title line was vulnerability, the antidote to shame. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about right. how, you know, twos can really struggle with shame. And when we're shamed, exactly like you said, with your image of this, you know, jar is that we, we, we close in, you know, we want to yeah. hide the shame or insulate it, but that when there's cracks or breaks in it, then that's when the light can get to it and heal yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So I mm-hmm. thought that was, I love it when, you know, mm-hmm. God's like dropping breadcrumbs in multiple places. Mm-hmm. He's like, I said it over here and now I said <laughs> it over here. And then somebody sings it on the radio and you're like, okay, God, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are so thankful that you just opened up your, your heart and your life to, to us. And so w- what we're going to do mm-hmm. is that we're going to, we're going to pivot. We're going to go, play a ridiculous game now so so stay with us because when we come back we will be playing trial by trolley with joy ike stay with us love thy neighborhood is now on patreon which offers exclusive content to members for just 10 bucks a month you can unlock bonus interviews live streams ebooks and more by becoming a patreon member you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our urban missions program it's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. Welcome back to the Uniquecast, Jesse Eubanks, Lindsay Lewis, and now it's time for Trial by Trolley. All right, our game today is called Trial by Trolley. Here's how it works. Joy, you are on a runaway trolley car and you cannot stop it, but you can choose which track it's going to go down, either my track or Lindsay's, but it is a moral dilemma because sitting on each of our tracks will be one nice thing and one not so nice thing that you will have to run over depending on which track you choose. And uh, you can only help the people on one track. So before you choose, Lindsay and I will each get to add an extra complication to our track, making the decision even harder. Mm -hmm. So we'll each present you with the two things on our track, add the complication, and then you will have to choose which one you want to send the trolley down and destroy. Whichever track you choose, that person gets a point. But the goal is to have as few points as possible. So we are trying to get you to not choose our track. We want you to run over the other person's stuff. So we're going to play three rounds. Whoever has the least points at the end wins. All right, Lindsay Lewis, you may go first. 
Okay, Joy, today on my track, I have Mr. Rogers. <laughs> so if you choose to take your trolley down my track, you will be running over Mr. Rogers and you will probably be disliked for all time <laughs> by the whole world. Yeah, that's that feels a little unfair. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I'm just put that out there right out of the gate. Okay, if you run down my track, you will have to run over a blind man and his equally blind dog. Oh, <laughs> However, there's a 50% chance that they both will survive and gain trolley-themed superpowers. <laughs> well, then that, she should just go ahead and run them over. Here's the real question, though. What would Mr. Rogers want? Well, here's the problem. Mr. Rogers is also holding all of your pets. Oh, my gosh. Do yeah. you have pets, Joy? I don't. Oh, okay. Well, that that will be just any pets you've fine. ever seen. It's seen. That's 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 an expansion. Your uh, future pets. Okay, so Joy, is it going to be Mr. Rogers or is it going to be a blind man and his equally blind guide dog? Where is your trolley <laughs> going to hit? Oh man, I'm. I would never run over Mr. Rogers. I'm sorry. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if Mr. Rogers was like, choose the other track. Uh, he would say that, but no, I could never run over him. He's my favorite person. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that that felt like like ace in the hole immediately. Yep. I like saw the it in my stack, and I was like, like yes! oh my gosh, yep. I got no I shot here. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh, and I lived in the same neighborhood Mr. Rogers lived in. I never oh, met him. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Mm. So, track two: a knitting group full of adorable grannies hmm. that's that's mine oh okay on my track is a billionaire about to donate their entire fortune to the charity of your choice mm -hmm. and to make it even more complicated he is rushing home right now to take care of his sick baby okay well my knitting group full of adorable grannies if you kill them they will all rise as zombies, the kind that move really fast, and they will all try to eat you. Whoa. That escalated quickly, as you say. Yep. Dude, zombie grannies are so scary. scary. With knitting needles. So scary. I just, we need to just acknowledge that. Okay, so is it going to be... A billionaire about to donate his entire fortune to the charity of your choice who is also rushing home to take care of his sick baby. Or a knitting group full of adorable grannies who are going to rise from the dead and try to Be eat zombies. you. Oh, this is hard, you know, because it's the, the old people and the baby that make it hard. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to roll over the billionaire because <gasps> I can't oh. roll over grandmas. But they're already at the end of their life. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Just joking. Okay, so we're tied. This is the final round. If any grandmothers are listening, Lindsay Lewis does not speak on behalf of no, the whole no, organization. No, 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 I don't. Okay. Lindsay, whenever you're ready. Okay, I've got some good ones to choose from here, so just mm -hmm. pick one. Okay. So, on my track, there is all of your best friends and family on the track about to throw you a surprise birthday party. Oh my gosh. Yep. Should I even should <laughs> I even should I even counter? Well, here here's here's the alternative. 
the best taco truck in the world. <laughs> well, I hope she likes tacos, Jesse. I'm really banking on the fact that I she loves needs. tacos even more than people. That's all of her friends and family. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to make mine more complicated. You can just yeah. stand on its own. Yeah, yeah. I don't. My none of my complications do anything in this situation. So literally, all I've got is a taco truck. <laughs> so what are your complications, oh. Lindsay? Nope, I don't have one. Okay. All right, so it's all your friends and family oh, about to throw your surprise party or, or the taco, taco truck. truck. The best, oh, the best. I really truck. love tacos, you guys, but I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> that, that felt inevitable. Yeah. Felt inevitable. I well, needed to win. I needed to win. Yeah, she did. She did. Well, I hope that you enjoy that surprise party from your friends and family. Yes. And no more tacos for you. <laughs> so, all right, and now it's time for 11 quick questions. Okay, so Joy, we're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. All right, number one. What is a word you use too much? Authentic. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. What is a word you wish you never had to say again? Oh, yeah. Pivot. (laughs) That's good. That's a good one. (laughs) What makes you feel alive? Being outdoors. Oh, yeah. What repels you? Lack of natural light. (laughs) What is your favorite emotion? (laughs) Easy. Joy. (laughs) (laughs) That that felt baked in. What is your least favorite emotion? I would say aggression. Mm -hmm. Passive aggression or or aggression. What is a sound or a noise that you love? Birds. Birds. Birds for days. (laughs) What is a sound or a noise that you hate? Oh, phone ding notifications. If you could switch Enneagram types for a day, which one would you like to try? I would be a nine, through and through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Be a chill day. Yeah. Yeah. If you could tell your teenage self one sentence, what would it be? You are going to do awesome things and you don't have to fit in. And what is the first thing that you would want to say to God when you meet him face to face? Thank you for everything. love that joy what a delight to talk with you thank you so much for sharing with us yeah it's great to talk with you guys love you all and hope to cross paths at some point for sure If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Joy Ike. Check out Joy's music wherever you stream music to see her live concert dates, to book a private artist coaching session, or to learn more about Joy and her work, visit joyike.com. Also, you can check out her new apparel line, Wearing Love, by going to wearingloveapparel.com. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. You can learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. 
This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Jason Rugg is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.